أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قد سمع الله قول التي تجادلك في زوجها وتشتكي إلى الله والله يسمع تحاوركما إن الله سميع بصير الذين يظاهرون منكم من نسائهم ما هن أمهاتهم إن أمهاتهم إلا اللائي ولدنهم وإنهم ليقولون منكرا من القول وزورا وإن الله لعفو غفور الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد الحمد لله after completing the 27th we start the 28th juz of the Quran which has nine surahs in there majority of them are madani surahs so there's quite a few uh, rulings and laws and other legal matters that are discussed there along with discussion of uh, the hypocrites uh, that's a big feature of the Madinan surahs so inshallah let's see inshallah we're hoping that we can cover this in the time that we have and uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for assistance we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help so the first surah is called Suratul Mujadala. Suratul Mujadala. Mujadala, Jadala, Yujadil means to debate, to dispute, to debate. So it's called the debate. And there's a reasoning and a backdrop for that. It's a Madani surah with only 22 verses, uh, longer verses. They're not short like some of the other surahs, and there's three sections in there. And as I mentioned, it mentions some things relating to the munafiqeen, also has some legal rulings that are mentioned in there. The first story that it starts with, for the first several verses, it's about a case to do with vihar. So this is actually a surah that's named after an incident relating to a woman, Khawla, Khawla bintu, bintu Tha'lab. Khawla bintu Tha'lab radiyallahu anha. It's her story essentially. And she came to argue a case with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that's why it's called the debate. That's why it's called the debate because of maybe the style that she used. It was called the debate. She was a wife. She is the wife of Aus ibn Samit. Aus ibn Samit radiyallahu anhu, and she came with his complaint, and you know did it very boldly in front of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And it was about vihar. Vihar is this old jahiliya custom where they used to say to their wife that you are like my mother's back or something like that. And that meant that it would be haram forever. It was like a talaq, a divorce forever. They would become haram forever. Now Islam changed that ruling and said that that's not true. If uh, you, you, need to, you need to expiate for it, right? You need to expiate for it. If you expiate for it, then there's no divorce and you can get back together again. So that was a discussion and those laws came down. That uh, refreshing of those laws, or you can say um, implementing the proper laws of that, is mentioned in these first uh, several verses. So uh, it starts off with قَدْ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ قَوْلَ الَّتِي تُجَادِلُكَ فِي زَوْجِهَا It's beautiful. I mean, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must have loved her style or what she came to do. So Allah says that he, Allah has heard the statement of the one who came to dispute and debate with you regarding a husband and who, who then complained to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a longer story. And it's got several, uh, uh, there's several more details to it which I don't have the time to go into. But Allah says, Wallahu yasma'u tahawurakama. Allah was listening to your discussion. Your discourse he was listening to, Allah is fully listening and seeing. 
and then the and then the rulings are mentioned about it. So thereafter, that Surah Al-Mujadala includes the following several uh, uh, issues or big big issues. One of the big issues that begins with you can say from um, you can say yeah from verse seven or so from seven or so it's a discussion about whispering, intimate discourse, secret secret meetings and especially in front of other people to hold secret meetings and secret discourses so that the other person can't hear and the hadith is very clear about that the hadith i'll just mention the hadith to you the hadith mentions that if there's three of you two of you should not whisper to uh, one another you know so that the third person is not grieved by that because they're going to feel left out they're going to feel that you're speaking about maybe about him that's why this ruling also extends to two people speaking in another language in the presence of a third person so if me and somebody speaking urdu or arabic or gujarati or tur turkish right and uh, the, the third person doesn't understand it it could be like unless they know that you've got something important to discuss nothing about him you'd have to make take measures to figure that out likewise if there's four of you Three of you shouldn't have that discourse, leaving one out. Yes, if there's four and two have that discourse, two are on the other side, then that's fine because they've got somebody else to talk to. Likewise, in our masajid, especially you know when we've got, uh, mashallah, some very ethnic-oriented masjid, like you've got a uh, Urdu-speaking masjid or an Arabic or Somali-speaking masjid, you've got a newcomer, especially a convert when they come, right? Sometimes you know you you need to really make them feel welcome. If people carry on their own languages and to the exclusion of that person then that, that could grieve them. And not that you must include them in every discussion, I mean, but you otherwise take, uh, apologize, that look, there's something we just need to discuss if you don't mind. And if you do it nicely, then that would be fine. So all of that discussion is being there, but the backdrop of it is that this has a backdrop that uh, many of the Yahud of Medina Munawara, they had this attitude of, in front of Muslims, uh, believers, when they were there, they would start to talk and snigger and say things within one another to cause some grief to the person listening, to the Muslim that was listening. So this seems like a, a kind of a habit that they had. And uh, aside from that, when they would come to the Prophet ﷺ, they started having these other attitudes, like with a really weird face, they would say, Assalamu Alaikum, Assalamu Alaikum, right? Which Assam means death, so death be upon you. And he made it sound like it's Salamu Alaikum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes this on. And he discusses this and he says that when you, when you whisper to one another, if you're doing it for the sake of a sin or enmity or disobedience to the messenger of Allah, then that is wrong and so on. Yes, if you sometimes have to do this for a good reason, for a pious reason, for a righteous reason, that is allowed. He's saying that this kind of whispering is from the shaitan, right? Uh, so that he can grieve the people who believe. But you're not going to harm them in any way unless Allah wills. And it is upon Allah that the believers should trust and that's verse 10 thereafter at the next uh, uh, since Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about some communal etiquette and um, social adab and, and uh, uh, conduct uh, then Allah discusses the thing about where you come into the masjid or anywhere for that matter you're not allowed to push somebody out of their place whoever's first there they should stay there Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says when a newcomer does come then tafassahu fil majalis so that's in verse 11 Right, O oh, people who believe when it's said to you that you should make some space for oncomers, then you should do so. You shouldn't stick to your place then. Right? Fafsahu, you make space, then Allah will make space for you. Right? However, if you're told to disperse and leave after a gathering, then you should do that. Especially if you know, there's a reason. Now, this is, these are not necessarily obligations. These are based on etiquette. 
So they're not fard or wajib or things like that, but they are based on etiquette, they're good ethics and so on. And that's why he's saying when you're told to, to disperse, you should disperse. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this, this is a verse to point out. End of verse 11. Allah will raise those of you who believe. Allah will raise them, elevate them, give them honor. And, and those who've been, who've been given knowledge. So again, there's an encouragement for studying whatever you can study. Whatever you can study, right? Allah gives them, Allah will raise them many stages. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is knowing of everything that you do. Then the next verse, 12, is that in order to stop those people coming in and bothering the Prophet with just an excuse that they wanted to come and see him, they would just come and waste his time. Right? You get calls sometimes like that, people just come in to waste your time. Right? So um, here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that when you do go to speak privately to the Prophet then give some sadaqah beforehand. Now that stopped a lot of people because giving sadaqah beforehand, that wasn't easy. Why would you pay to go and mess around with somebody? Thereafter that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions a few other things which are uh, really important. From, you can say, the second part of this chapter, uh, verse 14 or so, they were the munafiqeen, right? So they were not Yahud, but they knew that Yahud didn't like the Muslims at that time, right? So they would actually combine with them, they would ally with them, they would secretly plan things with them they would um, support one another in you know they would do it secretly and uh, but they were both doing it because there was an agreement you have to remember there was an agreement that was made between them which i'll discuss in another in another chapter and that's why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that you should not be befriending that uh, befriending them uh, do you not see those who befriend a people who allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showered his anger upon Right? They're not from among you. These munafiqin are not from among you. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared a severe punishment. And then after that, it, it mentions that, you know, their wealth and everything, their children, they can't be of any benefit to them. Um, and finally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala distinguishes between, and the wording used is quite strong. It's called Hizbullah and the Hizb shaitan So the Hizbullah here does not refer to those guys in Lebanon. Right, this is the true Hezbollah, the true group of Allah, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes here. So Allah first describes those people, the munafiqeen first, that they are the Hezbo shaitan. They are basically the, the his means a group, the group of the shaitan. Because the reason is that they, 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 they would support people who were anti-Islam at that time. Right? That's why it says then that... Uh, the, the, the final long verse here, verse 22, is you will not find the people who believe in Allah and the last day who would then hold friendship or love. Those people who've uh, gone against Allah and His Messenger, even if those people were their fathers, their children, their brothers, or their, their tribe members. Because these are the people who Allah has written iman in their heart, like embedded iman in their heart. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has supported them with a spirit from him, will enter them into Jannah. And, and Allah is well satisfied with them and they're satisfied with Allah. This is the other place in the Quran where radiallahu anhum waradu an is used. And this is about, about the people with Iman, right? These are the Hezbollah. These are the, uh, this is the contingent of Allah. And it is Allah's contingent that will always be successful. What is, what is mentioned about these people, 
right? Those who uh, don't do this are basically people who have iman. Allah will put iman in their hearts. Allah will assist them, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will grant them paradise. And number four, Allah is satisfied with them. So that's what you learn from here, right? Now, Alhamdulillah, with that, this surah has been completed. One verse I want to just point out: verse twenty-one. Allah promises, "Katab Allah." Remember, kutiba, kataba is prescribed. So, kutiba alaykum siyam fasting has been prescribed upon you. That's the term. Allah here says, Allah has prescribed and written and determined that la aghlibanna ana wa rusuli. That me, yani Allah and His messengers, they we're going to be successful. And Allah has all uh, Allah has all strength and might to do that. Now we move on to the next one. We literally have timed it for nine surahs. We have about just less than seven minutes each. So make dua that we can do that. Some surahs are going to re require a bit longer. But let's see what happens. The next surah is called Suratul Hashar. Hashar means either the gathering, or driving everybody to gather somewhere. So it's called Suratul Hashar. Or you can say the, the driving somebody out. So there's various translations that you can find for this. Again, it's a Madni surah, 24 verses. And three sections you can set this up into relatively longer, uh, longer verses. They're not short, short like some of the others that we've read before. And uh, the following are the discussions in here. It's got some really important discussions. Firstly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts off by telling us, it's one of the musabbihat, so it's sabbaha lillahi ma samawati wa ma For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, everything in the heavens and earth uh, glorify Allah. And He is almighty and, and, and so on. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts the discussion about a particular incident that took place uh, in, in Medina Munawwara. Now, several of these surahs here relate to the Yahud of Medina Munawwara and the Munafiqeen, as I mentioned, because that, those were the biggest foes. Once you didn't have problems from the outside, from the Quraysh and from Makkah and everybody, the bigger problems were from inside, were from either the Munafiqeen or it was from the, uh, the, the Yahud of Medina Munawwara. Now, what's going on here is that the first thing uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then talks about is He mentions some of the some of the aspects of his power, some of the effects of it, some of the evidences of it in the heavens and so on. And thereafter that, the understanding is that, you see, the Yahud had been in Medina Munawwara for many, 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 many centuries and generations. From one of their diasporas, when they had to leave Jerusalem, they found that Medina Munawwara, or Yathrib at the time, fitted the bill of this oasis that they'd had written in their books. So that's why they came there. And there were three tribes that were settled there. They were... Most of them are very, very well off. Not only that, they had the business in their hands, so economically they were extremely stable. In fact, they were superior in that sense. And because of their money lending at that time, they basically had so many people uh, under their, uh, subjugated under them because they all owed them money. The other thing that they'd done is that they inhabited the southern area of Medina Munawwara and they had huge fortified uh, castles or forts. Right? They were very strong in, uh, and very strong forts. And they, they, you, know, you hear the discussion about that sometimes. So they essentially were very arrogant because of that. They thought we've got the money, we've got the strength, we've got the economy. And um, because of that, nothing's going to happen to us. But what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows through here is that um, what they had to then face is that they literally were all evicted. Not just from Medina Munawara, but there was another tribe in Khaybar as well. And they had to leave from there as well. Finally, from the Arabian Peninsula, they had to be forced in Shams. Some groups 
during the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and th those who were left, they started causing problems afterwards, and Umar radiallahu anhu got rid of them as well. So eventually, they all had to go, and this was something that was so you can say unbelievable. Not only for them, you know, not only for th themselves, but also for the people of Makkah, the Quraysh of Makkah, the Arabs of Makkah, they would never imagine that the Yahud would have to actually leave Medina Munawwara ever because of the way they were, they were just so settled and just so, you know, and that basically goes as a lesson for all of us today that any group anywhere in the world, they think that, you know, whether that be in China with, the, with, the, uh, with, with our Muslim brothers there, whether that be in um, Palestine or in, uh, in any other place, if people mess around, if people cause so corruption in the world, right, the, the Rohingya case uh, in, in Myanmar, in India, all of these places, I mean, if you cause corruption, you're not going to last for too long, because that's instability in the world, as we read uh, with, in Surah Al-Rahman yesterday, right, Allah has placed a balance, and anybody who upsets that balance is upsetting the law of Allah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes down hard on such people. This is the surah that is basically telling us about this, that when they went against covenants, when they went against peace treaties, when they started becoming arrogant. And let me just read to you, this will be, provide a backdrop to many of these surahs. So what happened was that this, um, this surah, Surah Al-Hashr, was actually revealed in the second year after the migration of the Prophet right? And initially, because th th they, they went into, a, they, they agreed a treaty with the Jewish tribes, the Arab tribes and the Jewish tribes, they'll have a peaceful coexistence, they'll defend one another of any possible attacks of the pagans of Makkah, for example, because that was where it was. Now, the problem is that despite this treaty, for whatever reason, they, they were not satisfied, the Yahud were not satisfied. So the Jewish tribes living there, they began to um, uh, conspire against the Muslims and they tried to harm Muslims in whatever they, the way they could. In fact, on one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ had to visit the Banu Nadir, which was one of the Jewish clans or tribes in Medina, right? About, about implementing, implementing some aspects of a treaty. What they did was they secretly had a person stand somewhere uh, above a building or somewhere, and when the Prophet ﷺ was going to go past, they were going to throw a large rock on him to kill him. They couldn't come and openly kill him, so they were going to do it this way by hiring somebody to do that. But alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, the Prophet was told about this. So then the Prophet announced that our treaty has ended now because you guys are always traitoring. You're always betraying us. So that's when the treaty ended and they were asked to leave Medina Munawar. That particular tribe, Banu Nadir, very wealthy, they were told to leave, right? And... He said, if they don't leave, then the Muslims would attack them now because they, they'd been betraying so many times. Now, the hypocrites, they started telling the Medinan, uh, uh, they started telling this tribe of the Jews that you should not sub submit because we're going to help you, right? Don't worry, you, we've got your back for you. Now, on their assurance, I mean, Munafiqin can never be trusted. On their assurance, the poor Banu Nadir, they didn't leave Medina within the period that was given that you should leave in that time because afterwards, you're, you, you know, you're not going to be protected anymore. So the Prophet ﷺ then besieged their fort. And unfortunately, no hypocrites, right? No hypocrite came to their help afterwards. Right? Ultimately, they had to surrender and then they were banished from Medina Munawwara. They were allowed actually to take all of their wealth with them except their, onum, except their weapons. They were allowed to take all of their wealth and they pretty much took everything, including nails and everything. It's a whole discussion about that. And that's why some have actually called Surah Al-Hashr Surah of Bani Nadir. Surah of the Banu Nadir because it's primarily about them. So that's the backdrop of the surah. Okay? Now, uh, eventually, when they had to leave and um, 
there was still a lot of mal ghanima. There's still a lot of fate that came. But now there was no battle here because they, they left. But there was a lot of uh, wealth that, was, uh, that, that, that came to the Muslims. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now in these next verses, 6 and 7, relates the, the rightful owners of that. We had Suratul um, Anfal. Suratul Anfal, which was about when you have a war and you get the spoils of war. This one is where there's no war and you get it through a treaty, all right, or through some agreement. Then in that case, the Mujahideen do not receive this wealth, okay? So where there's no war, in a war situation where there's a fight, then the Mujahideen get a big share of the, uh, of the wealth, right, of the spoils. But where it's not then the Mujahideen don't get that, then it's for Allah and His messengers. Allah says here, فَلِلَّهِ وَلِلْرَسُولِ And for the relatives and for the yatim, the orphans, and for the poor people, and for the Ibn Sabil. Then Allah mentions a very important economical, economics principle. كَيْ لَا يَكُونَ دُولَةً بَيْنَ الْأَغْنِيَاءِ مِنْكُمْ Just so that wealth is not something that is just passed around among the wealthy. And essentially that's what's happening today in the world. Right? The few are basically buying from one another, Right? They're doing trade with one another, they're investing with one another. So that means the money is being concentrated in a few people and the others don't get access to it. Then Allah mentions something else very important. Another important rule of Islam. Whatever the message, messenger gives you, brings to you, whatever, accept it and take it. Whatever he prohibits you from, then abstain from it. Fear Allah, Allah is severe in his punishment. That is all in verse 7. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions an important uh, uh, praise for the Ansar. The Ansar and the Muhajirin, they both mentioned here. Allah says in verse, the next verse, 8, الْمُهَاجِرِينَ So that's for the Fakir Muhajirin, that they had to basically abandon everything and move to Medina Munawwara. Then Allah mentions the praise of the Ansar, that when these Muslims came from uh, in the migration from Makkah Mukarramah to Medina Munawwara, MashaAllah, They loved it, they loved those people who migrated to them, right? And they, were, they, they, they didn't have any problem in their heart with, you know, welcoming them and giving them things and so on. These are the Ansar, MashaAllah. They would give preference over themselves, even if they had the most severe hunger afflict them. And there's that famous story of that Sahabi who took a guest of the Prophet ﷺ to his house. He only had food for one person. Right? So for him and for, for his family. But because the guests had come, he shut the lights, gave the food to the guests, made the f guests feel like he's eating as well. Whereas he dedicated all to the guests because that's all the food he had. Got his uh, children to sleep uh, hungry. And the next day, this verse is there, mashallah, that they give preference over themselves even if they're in severe hunger themselves. And that Allah sends a good reminder. He says that whoever is saved from the extreme avarice and greed of themselves, then they are the successful people. May Allah protect us from avarice and greed. There's a lot of good uh, other points in there which we don't have the time to mention. Uh, but thereafter that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the last section of this, from verse 18, Ya amanu amanu taqullah. O people who believe, fear Allah. This is the famous last section in which the verse about Allah's names is mentioned. So essentially Allah is telling the people of belief that uh, you should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because if you don't fear Him, don't become like those people who forgot Allah. 
and then Allah made them forget themselves, meaning made them forget what was good for themselves. That's why they just then focused on the dunya, they forget about what's going to happen to them in the hereafter, and they became the people of the hellfire. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in verse 21, the next verse, that if Allah, do you understand the value you have in the Quran? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if he was to reveal this Quran upon a mountain, like if, he was give to, if, he was make, make, if he was to make a smart mountain with um, intelligence, right, consciousness, and then he was to give the, uh, put the Quran onto that mountain, the mountain would, out of the reverent fear for what has been placed upon it, the burden that's been placed upon it, it would basically blow up into, uh, into particles, you know, through the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says that these are examples and then the last few verses are all about the beautiful names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the surah then ends mashallah with the similar way that it started which is by praising Allah yusabbihu lillahi yusabbihu lahu ma fi samawati wa everything in the heavens and the earth praise Allah doesn't matter what you guys do but remember everything that Allah everything praises Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he's the mighty one and the wise one is also a Madinan surah and it's called suratul mumtahina Mumtahina. Mumtahina, the examiner. It's about examination. It's about testing somebody. And when I get to it, I'll explain that to you. It has only 13 verses. Again, they're very large verses and two sections. Uh, at the beginning is the discussion. About a particular incident in Medina Munawwara. O people who believe, do not take my enemies and your enemies. So they're both our enemies. Do not make them friends, associates, partners. Right? That you extend a hand of love to them. That you extend love to them. Right? Even though they've, basically, they, they've, they've disobeyed Allah. Right? Whatever truth has come. And they've... Remember, these are the same. These are talking about the people of Makkah. What happened is that the Prophet ﷺ was going to attack. Right? was going to go to Makkah Mukarramah. There was a Sahabi, he's a Badri Sahabi. Bad, uh, sahabas from Badr are considered one of the elite hierarchies, right? And they've got true Iman in them. And they've been given guarantee of that almost, right? Uh, as mentioned in a Hadith and so on. However, there's one of them, he had no family in Medina Munawar, not many contacts. Most of his family was still in Makkah Mukarramah. He knew that the Muslims were going to be victorious. He knew he was going to walk over. Now, just to see that when the Makkans would find out that the Muslims are coming, they don't start attacking family members of the Muslim members in Medina Munawwara, you know, of those who are in Makkah. He wanted to just like get a favor. So he knew that, that we're going to win anyway. The Muslims are going to win. But he, with an old woman, he sent a letter, scrolled, written, and then either put into her belt or in her hair, and um, he sent that to them, telling them that this is the plan of the Prophet It's kind of a really weird hybrid kind of idea that he's got true faith, but he did this. Of course, late, and the Prophet found out, um, he was told by revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he sent Ali radiallahu anhu, another sahabi, that go to this place called Rawdatu Khaq. There you will find a woman, right? It's amazing. And she's got a letter from Hati ibn Abi Balta, you must take it from her. When they got there, they found this woman exactly as mentioned. Says, I got no woman, uh, I got no letter. Ali Yudhira said, you must have it. If you don't, we're going to have to check you thoroughly, denude you, whatever the case is. She then pulled it out, right? And it was exactly this letter. Now, Umar is very angry, obviously. Shall I strike his head off? He must be Munafiq. Prophet said, no, he's got true faith. 
He felt very, very remorseful. Hatim Nabi Balta felt very remorseful. So this is uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying that this is not the way to do things. This is not the way to curry favors with people. You have to be on Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's side. I mean, how can you? They're your own enemies, right? They're your own enemies, and they've thrown you out of Makkah, Mukarramah, and all the rest of it. And it's really touching, very emotional to read about this, right? And uh, saying that Lan tanfa'ukum arhamukum wala awlad, your 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 family relatives. Your, your children, none of that will help you on the day of judgment. All of that will be separated. Each person will be independent in their own right to stand in their own shoes to uh, deal with their own reckoning. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides an example of Ibrahim alayhi salam. That you should never, never make a treaty with such people. You should never secretly uh, join with these people against your own people. That's just completely wrong. All right? And Allah gives the example of Ibrahim He says, haven't you got an example in Ibrahim salam, that when his people uh, refused to uh, leave the shirk, he said, okay, I'm exonerated from you. I'm free of you. I'm going, right? And likewise with his father and so on. So he's saying that you, you, you people look up to Ibrahim salam. This is what he did. You should do the same thing. And then there's some du'as that are made. Oh, our Lord, do not make us a fitna for those who disbelieve and forgive us, our Lord. That's verse 5, right? And uh, thereafter, this is what happened now. This is very interesting. The Sahaba, whatever Allah said, they, they used to do. Now, as soon as they heard that, they, many of them had relatives that were still disbelievers. They started cutting ties with them. They started cutting ties with their brothers, their father, if there was a disbeliever, their children, whoever it was. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, no, that's not what we want. We don't want you to be such exclusivists that you don't talk to anybody and you, have, you, know, you, you basically shun everybody and abandon everybody. No, that's not the idea. These two beautiful verses which are used in many interfaith discussions, verse 7 and 8, are very important. Uh, actually, the next one as well, uh, 7, 8 and 9. It's very close that maybe uh, between you and those people who have severe enmity right now, Allah will create love. Right? They'll become love between you. Allah has ability and exact, exactly when they showed good to these people, good etiquette to these people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them become believers in a few years. So all of these families became Muslims eventually. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, look, Allah does not prohibit you, verse 8, from those who do not fight with you in the deen. Right? They're not fighting you for the deen. And they did not uh, evict you and, and, and throw you out of your cities. Right? You, there's no problem that you act well with them. And that you act with them in justice. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who act with justice and who deal with people well. Allah only prohibits you from those people who fight with you with regards to the deen. And who throw you out of your places. And uh, who assist one another in taking you out and so on. These are, if anybody who makes friends with such people, they are the oppressors. And that's a clear rule with anybody. I mean, you call that treason. Right? Uh, anybody in England who does that with, with, with an enemy of an England, they'll, they'll, they'll file them, they'll basically try them for treason. That's what people, this is what treason is. I mean, you need some kind of, you know, uh, you, you need some kind of uh, 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 respect, mutual respect, mutual, uh, you know, mutual laws in that sense. Thereafter, the next verse, which is verse 10, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with another issue that there were. You know, there was a treaty of Hudaybiyah that if any Muslims came, sorry, if anybody came to Makkah, Makkah, they'd have to send them back and so on. However, what about women? Now, that was not mentioned in the treaty. So, there was a famous disbeliever from Makkah, Mukarramah, 
whose daughter became a Muslim. Her name was Umm Kulthum and his name was Uqba ibn Abi Mu'id. He was big enemy of Islam. His daughter became Muslim and she migrated to Medina Munawwara. And then he came to ask for her back and said, it's the treaty. But the Prophet said, the treaty has got nothing to do with women, refused to send him back. Sorry, refused to send her back with him. So he went back. So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives this whole ruling in here of how to deal with them. Allah is saying, and this is why this surah is called Suratul Mumtahina or Mumtahina, right? Reason is that any of those women who come, um, speak to them, uh, examine them, meaning uh, have an interview with them and if they've come for the right reason they've come for their faith they come with sincerity then let them stay in Medina Munawwara so that's the point there then after that there's uh, a few other rulings that I mentioned uh, the Prophet ﷺ is told that you know when the believing woman come to you to take bay'ah with you right uh, on, 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 on the so on and so forth then uh, make sure you take bay'ah and seek forgiveness for them Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all forgiving and then again the last uh, verse again says O oh, people who believe, do not make friends with people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showered his anger upon and who have who've, who've lost any hope of goodness in the hereafter. Just like, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the rest. So that's Suratul Mumtahina that was mentioned. And I've mentioned all of the important verses that I wanted to highlight to you. Right, so keep in mind the verse eight and, uh, 7, 8 and 9. Those are very important verses. Now we move on to the next surah, which is called Suratul Saf. Saf means the row, and this refers to the rows of, and this surah is again about jihad, and about fighting in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, standing firm, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promise, like if you look at verse uh, 8, that always brings a lot of, you know when, when you hear so much aggression against Islam in different places, you know we're going to have to go through some suffering, that's obvious, but Allah says that they intend, the, 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 the enemies intend, that they extinguish the nur of Allah with their mouths. So whether the mouths or physically, whatever the case is, but Allah is going to complete His light, even if the disbelievers dislike it. And that's why for us it's important that do we want to stay on the train or not? Because the, the, the thing is that the train of Islam is going to get to its destination. But unfortunately there will be people who will be jumping off every now and then because of some, uh, maybe the AC isn't working inside, maybe there's going to be too many people coming, maybe there's going to be a bit of aggression, somebody's going to throw, start throwing stones, they're going to say, no, we're going to get off, we can't deal with this. So may Allah give us strength. So it's a Madani surah with only 14 verses, rather, you know, slightly uh, medium-sized verses, only two sections. Uh, Jihad and Qital is the discussion. It starts off as one of the musabbihat, uh, praise, glorified, glory is for, uh, sorry, uh, Allah is glorified by those who are in the heavens and the earth, and He's all the mighty one. And then one of the first discussions Allah provides here is that, O oh, people who believe, why do you say what you do not do? Stop saying things which you don't do yourself, right? Acting hypocritically, right? What a big lie it is according to Allah that you say things that you do not do yourself, right? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it mentions about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who fight in His path, path soften, you know, strong forms in, in rows. That's why this surah is called Surah Tussaf, right? كَأَنَّهُمْ بُنْيَانٌ مَرْسُوَةٌ As though they're very strongly embedded uh, structure, right? They're, they're very firm in their battles. Thereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, telling the believers that, you, you know, talking about Musa alayhi salam and then Isa alayhi salam and how his peop their people messed around with them and denied them and so on and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then uh, dis uh, disgraced them and so on. Very popular, a very important verse is verse 6 in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions about Isa alayhi salam, 
when Isa salam, son of Mary, said that I am the messenger of Allah to you, uh, confirming that which came before me of the Torah, and also giving you the glad tidings of a messenger that will come after me, whose name will be Ahmad. This is where the Prophet is referred to as Ahmad, the one who praises Allah most. Muhammad means the one who is most praised by Allah and everybody. So today, even though we can't come in the mosque, there's adhan, mashallah, in several areas of London. They've given permission in Germany, in, in Holland, in numerous places. Alhamdulillah, the ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah is being proclaimed down, out there. Right? Allah is elevating the mention of the Prophet ﷺ. And locally, mashallah, we've had even praise from atheists. I'm an atheist, I don't believe in any. But this is so soothing, it's so wonderful, it's such a good change. Right? And it's, it's beautiful. They actually stop playing their music to listen to it. We've had several feedback like that locally, alhamdulillah. Alright. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions in 9 that he, Allah is the one who has sent his messenger with the guidance and the right deen. So that he can make it dominate over all the other deens, even if the mushrikeen don't like it. Exactly what happened in, exactly what happened in, uh, in Arabia, many other parts of the world. Right? Thereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the believers, shouldn't I indicate and tell you about a business that you can do that will save you from the punishment? And what that is? Simple. Believe in Allah, Allah's messenger, and then you fight in the path of Allah, you expend your wealth and your lives in the path of Allah, that is better for you. Allah will forgive and all of that. Thereafter, the last point that's mentioning is that, O oh, people who believe, be like those special hawaris of Isa alayhi salam. And this is a special incident where Isa alayhi salam said to them, Man ansari ilallah, who are my assistants uh, you know, uh, in our path to Allah? The hawarians said, Nahnu ansarullah, we are your assistants, we are your special, you know, your, your, your special people. So some people of the Bani Israel believed in him and others did not. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assisted those who did believe against their enemies and they became dominant. So the Prophet is being uh, told to his people as well that be like those people that, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you the same thing. The next surah is Surah Al-Jumu'ah. Somebody made a comment the other day that I'm speed reading the Quran. I mean, if you go back to the first, you know, that's exactly what we're doing. We are trying to just give snippets, just give overall conclusions, main ideas. So that just creates a desire in you to look at it in detail. You have the rest of your life, inshallah, to look at it in detail. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us. Next one is Surah Al-Jumu'ah. And there's some special laws about Friday that I mentioned in here. That's why it's called Surah Al-Jumu'ah. And obviously it's a Madani, Madinan Surah as well. 11 verses, relatively medium to large size verses. Two, uh, two sections in there. And again, the whole, the, the, there's a big theme. The Jumu'ah part comes at the end. But the big discussion there is about the Bani Israel. Right? And it's talking about the Bani Israel, historically speaking, about the big... Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given them so many things and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had uh, given them so much knowledge. Right? The Torah, until today, mashallah, the Torah is still being studied. Right? To, until today, people are studying the Torah in synagogues and everything like that. So they obviously take to it uh, more than you know, Christians take to the Bible, it seems. Right? They take it quite seriously. So from a, uh, before they were doing that. The problem is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions here is The idea that's mentioned here 
is that even though, mashallah, they had the Torah and everything, they were given the glad tidings and all of these gifts and bounties from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that no other group had been given special divine food and everything, they did not value it and they still caused corruption and they still caused problems and they would change some of the laws. And they, so Allah gives a really bad example. He gives an example, a good example, bad example, however you want to say that. The example he gives is of a donkey that's been put so many great uh, valuable books on it such that you know it can't even stand up properly maybe sometimes and it can't benefit from it so it's like you got a truck and you you laden it with all these wonderful books that you're going to send to a library i mean there's no benefit of that truck i mean you can say truck or uh, you know the, the the fedex carrier right the amazon carrier there's no benefit there's no benefit in it so he's saying it's similar to that and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really comes down on them and says, O oh people uh, who are Yahud, if you think that you are the friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, exclusively uh, from anybody else, then why don't, you, why don't you desire for death if you're truthful? Right? Because if you know that you're going to get good down there and you're friends with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nobody else is, then why don't you desire death? But then Allah makes it very clear in verse 7, وَلَا يَتَمَنَّوْنَهُ abada." They will never desire death because of what they've done because of the wrongs that they have done. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing of the oppressors. And then Allah mentions in general that, you know, this death that you're running away from, it's certainly going to catch up with you. And then you're going to be returned to the one who knows the unseen and the seen. He's going to tell you exactly what you used to do. So um, th th this, uh, th this was to try to help those people down there uh, to, to basically tell these uh, the, th the tribes that were there that you need to stop doing tyranny you've got we've got agreements with you you need to stop doing things behind our back you need to stop supporting the enemies you need to stop plotting against us right and eventually they had to leave as Surah Al-Hashr mentions then the final few uh, two verses there are that uh, three verses oh people who believe when the adhan is given on Friday when the call is given then you should hasten and you should abandon all all, all, all selling According to most ulama, the second adhan, once that's given, some say the first adhan, because there's two adhans of Jumu'ah now. Before in times of Prophet there's only one, but because more people were, uh, were expanded, uh, the ummah expanded, that's why they had to have another adhan just to get people to know. So that's why many ulama say it's the second adhan, that uh, you cannot have any business. So Muslims should not be having their business, then there's a whole difference of opinion as to whether you've got non-Muslims working there, can they continue the business and so on. Is it in a Muslim area or not? And there's whole fatwas written about that. But the idea is that we're very different from, for example, the Jewish uh, faith and from the Christian faith. We are allowed to work on Friday. So at Jumu'ah time, you're not allowed, right? And in Muslim communities, they generally have everything shut on Friday mornings, right? To prepare for Jumu'ah. After Jumu'ah, everything opens up. That's why the bazaars are open after Jumu'ah. That's why Allah says that once the salat is finished, spread, disperse in the earth, min fadlillah, and seek the grace of Allah. And the grace of Allah, many have interpreted this as the wealth. You can go and earn a living after Friday, you know, so it's, it's not necessary, it must be a holiday. Right? You can go and earn a living. It's not like uh, the, the, the Jews were not allowed to you know, do trade and that on, Friday, on uh, Saturdays and so on. You are allowed to do that. Then Allah in the last verse mentions about a particular incident where there was some huge amount of spoils of war had come. And the Muslims are very, very in dire straits. So the, uh, the, there was a prayer about to take place. So the prayer just finished. And when they saw that, mashallah, all of these uh, spoils had come, they all rushed towards it. The Prophet smiled. 
that you know they got so much need and desperation so he smiled at it right but then the uh, prophet mentioned that uh, what allah has is superior and i fear that the dunya will finally open up to you and then you'll start competing with one another that hadith is relevant to this as well because they left the, the prophet they said when they saw the tijara uh, they run away from you and they leave you standing so that's the uh, discussion ends with that the next one is Surah Al-Munafiqoon, which is the 63rd Surah of the Qur'an. 63rd, so we are over halfway, right? We are over halfway, 114 Surahs in the Qur'an. Out of that, we've done 62 Surahs. So we're over halfway, alhamdulillah. And we've got three days left. Today, well, we've got today, tomorrow and the next day left to finish off the other, I don't know, 50 Surahs or so. May Allah make it easy. Alright, the next surah is Surah Al-Munafiqoon. Now you know that we've already been discussing Munafiqeen and hypocrites throughout. Right? Most Madani surahs have discussion of Munafiqeen. This one is called the Munafiqeen because in this surah, the entire surah is about that. Pretty much. Pretty much. The most of the surah is just about Munafiqeen. That's why it's called the Munafiqeen. It's a Madani surah obviously with 11 verses. Um, two, two sections it's been split into. And in there it mentions, I don't know, several different akhlaq of, um, of the munafiqeen. It mentions se several different bad traits about the munafiqeen. So while the munafiqeen are gone, there's still a lot of people with those traits. And that's why Hassan Basri rahimahullah was asked that, are there still munafiqeen in Basra? He said if the munafiqeen were left, uh, had to leave the city of his time, he says the city wouldn't function anymore. That's why his whole khutbah is very important. It's a classical Arabic khutbah. Hayhat, hayhat, ahlak al-nas al-amani, qawlun bila amal, wa ma'rifatun bighayri sabr, wa imanun bila yaqeen. Mali ara rijalan, wala ara ukulan. Dakhal al-qawm, wallahi thumma kharaju. And, and, and the whole, whole discussion. Then he discusses what a true believer is. You should really... Uh, get a copy of that khutbah and, and read it. It's, it's quite amazing. It's very insightful. Anyway, here the whole surah is, as I said, about munafiqeen and their lying. So Allah starts off by saying that munafiqeen come to you and they say that we bear witness, we testify that you are the messenger of Allah. Now, is he the messenger of Allah? Of course he is. Yes, he is. So why are they lying? Then Allah says, but and, and then Allah clarifies that he says first, Allah knows that you are his messenger. Right? So there's no doubt about that. But... Allah then says, Allah testifies that the munafiqeen are liars. They come and say, you're the messenger of Allah. Allah knows you're the messenger of Allah, but then Allah is testifying that they are liars. How are they liars? When they're saying that you are the messenger of Allah. It's because they don't really believe it. They're saying it verbally, but testification it should be something in, in your heart. So they're lying in terms of what's in their heart. It's a beautiful conundrum that's discussed there, a lot of the, the whole Mantik books discuss this issue. Anyway, thereafter Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions several things about them. One is obviously lying, um, deception, uh, plotting, enmity, uh, hatred, uh, uh, the, 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 the difference between the inner and outer, the hypocrisy of their heart, the sickness of their heart in that sense. All of that is discussion if you see verse 1 to 3. And uh, they, they're stopping people from the path of Allah secretly behind their backs, plotting behind their backs. And this is because Allah says that they first said they believed, then they disbelieved. So Allah, that then that their heart was stamped, sealed. So they will never understand now. Now it says, When you see them, this is very important. You're going to be amazed by their physique. They look very imposing. 
They look very official. They look very formal. They look very respectable and dignified. Don't. Um, and if they speak, you will listen to them because there were some really influential members of them who are like that, right? And uh, But the problem is that they're so frightened inside. They think every cry is about them. So they're always on their nerves end. And this is the, for the problem. Remember, the, just about lying. Say that if you, if, you, if you lie, sorry, if you never lie, you never have to worry about what you said in the past because you'll always be telling the truth. But if you lie, then you're constantly going to have to keep a record of all the lies you've told to different people so that your story keeps matching each time you mention. Now imagine a person who's a munafi who's living that attitude. Right, who's living that attitude. Can you imagine what's happening to their brain? It's, it's tough, right? What, what your brain has to go through. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that everything they think is against them. Remember, they are enemies, so be careful of them, beware of them. Allah is going to fight them wherever they go. Special incident that's mentioned that on one occasion after one of the battles, the Prophet was returning and uh, it was a bit of a vulnerable situation. And one, uh, Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Salul, the chief Munafiq that I keep mentioning about, his son was a true believer, right? He, uh, the, 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 the Munafiq, the hypocrite, he started this whole plan that, uh, and started saying that when we go back to Medina Munawwara, uh, those of us who are dignified, i.e. the munafiqeen, etc., we're going to throw out all of these people, meaning the Muslims. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals that in the Quran. In fact, that was the occasion where even though his son loved him, but he was a true believer, he confronted his father and he told him that he must recant what he said. So Allah says in verse 7 and 8, they're the ones who say that do not spend on those who are with the messenger of Allah until they leave. But Allah says, وَلِلَّهِ خَزَائِنُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلَكِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ Allah has the treasures of the heavens and the earth, but the, these hypocrites, they don't understand. يَقُولُونَ لَإِنْ رَجَعْنَا إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ لَيُخْرِجَنَّ الْأَعَزُّ مِنْهَا الْأَذَلِ right? They say that when we return to Medina Munawwara, those who are honorable among us, they're going to evict and throw out those who are lowly and, and, and um, downtrodden. Allah then says, وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةُ وَلِرَسُولِهِ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلَكِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ For Allah is all honor and might and for His Messenger and for the believers but the munafiqeen don't understand, they don't know. Thereafter Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after discussing them, everybody knew who they were talking about, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the believers that look, make sure that you as well, your wealth and your children does not prevent you and distract you from the dhikr of Allah as it has done for them. That is a message for us today, alright? And anybody who does that, they're going to be of the, uh, of the losers. And then Allah says, spend, spend, spend of that which we have given you before a day comes, before the death comes to you. And then you say that, how I wish you could give me some more time, right? That I go and do sadaqah. Subhanallah, if you look in the entire Quran, I think this is maybe the only thing in which uh, Allah mentions that, a person would like to come back and do one of the, or not the only thing, but one of the specific things that a person would say at their deathbed that I wish I can go and do more of is sadaqah. That's why there's just two, one or two days left of Ramadan. Right? A few days left of Ramadan, try to give as much sadaqah. And even after Ramadan, it's not, the sadaqah is not just for Ramadan, but it's easier in Ramadan and you do get more rewards. So uh, that, that is being encouraged because remember on our deathbed, we'll hope that we would have done more. May Allah give us the tawfiq. By that, Suratul Munafiqeen, ends and we now move on to Surah Al-Taghabun. Now this is really 
getting difficult. Surah Al-Taghabun. Taghabun is a mutual term that meaning profit and loss. And it's referring to the day of judgment when people are going to understand whether the good they did, they got anything out of it or not. Or whether uh, it was all a loss. It was all a loss-making business that they did in this world. May Allah make us of those who will be successful and profitable on that day. Surah Al-Taghabun is also a Madani Surah. And Allah starts off, it's also musabbihat. It's also one of those with a tasbih in the beginning. Allah, uh, uh, those in the heavens and the earth, they glorify Allah. For Him is the kingdom, for Him is all praise. He has ability over everything. First part of it, Allah subhanahu wa uh, You see, although this is a Madinan surah, essentially it seems to be a Makki surah in terms of the discussions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power and His uh, his amazing creations and the evidences to his existence and his oneness in the heavens. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has that whole discussion. All of his, uh, his, some of his attributes are mentioned in there. Seems like a very mucky surah if you didn't know. However, it has a few, uh, it has a few other things in there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses that you should do shukr for his ni'mah. That's, that's mentioned in here. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created you in the best of forms. All of that discussion is here. However, verses 5 and 6 discuss those who disbelieved in Allah and how they had to be punished. Thereafter, in verse 7, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions uh, the day of judgment. Or rather, resurrection on the day of judgment, uh, that you will be resurrected. And then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions uh, the day of judgment from verse 9, the day when He will gather everybody together. That will be that day of profit and loss as such. And uh, Allah mentions that those who believe in Allah and do good deeds, Allah will remove their bad traits from them, their bad deeds from them, and enter them into the paradise. All of that is discussed, and then the hellfire people are discussed. Thereafter that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives general encouragement or order to obey Allah and His Messenger, and uh, saying that, look, if you don't, then the Prophet his job is not to grab you and make you Muslim, it's to, he just has to convey it to you. Then Allah reminds us that, oh people who believe that, you know, some of your spouses and your children are your enemies. So be careful. If they're going to take you away from the deen, you do things for them that, by which you get distracted from your prayers and your, your, other, your other responsibilities, then they're a fitna for you. So be careful of them, even though you, they're on your own family members. And you know, to be honest, for most people that I've uh, have heard with difficulties, the difficulty in them practicing comes from their families. So this is a very relevant verse for whoever's in that situation. And it's so wonderful to have a family that's religious and to have friends which are religious because you've got the whole environment like that. That's why don't expect to be religious if you're going to be with unreligious people unless you dominate and you can, you can turn them around. Right? That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says your wealth and your children are fitna for you. But Allah says If you pardon, you overlook and you forgive. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also forgiving. Allah then says Right? This is what we're told to do. Fear Allah as much as is possible. Sometimes it's difficult. We understand that. People come and say, oh, this is difficult. And they genuinely, they're having a difficulty. Well, do your best. And ask Allah for forgiveness. Just don't justify your wrongs. Don't say, I live in England, I live in America, I live in Norway, I live in the West or wherever, right? And that's why I can do this wrong. I don't have to do this ruling. I don't have to go for Jumu'ah. Or I can do this, I can do that. No, don't ever justify. That's one of the worst things you can do. Say, inshallah, I'll do it tomorrow. I can't do it tomorrow, today. May Allah forgive me. May Allah give me the strength to do tomorrow. Thereafter, again, 
um, criticizing bukhl and miserliness and encouraging loan to Allah, right? And again, Allah says He will multiply and He'll also forgive you as well because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very grateful and He's very forbearing. He's the knower of the unseen and the seen and He is the mighty and the wise one and by that we finish the surah, alhamdulillah. Now let us move to Surah Al-Talaq. Surah Al-Talaq is two things I take from Surah Al-Talaq. One are the laws of Talaq, uh, additional finishing, completing laws of, that were not mentioned in Surah Al-Nisa and Surah Al-Baqarah because many of the laws are mentioned there. Some of the remaining laws are mentioned here. That's why it's called Surah Al-Talaq. Right? But the other thing is that Talaq and divorce, I have seen, you know, and I can like, just think of at least 10 women that I know who have been divorced and just don't know how to manage it. It's very, for a lot of women, and I think it's because of our society, they just don't know how to manage and take a divorce. Some, it leads to huge depression and problems like that. Especially with the stigma attached of divorcees not being able to marry again, divorce women. Divorce men get married, mashallah, very easy, but divorce women don't. And everybody's to blame in this. Lots of people are to blame in this, including the women themselves, and of course the men, and so on, right? So this is not the time to talk about it. I've, I have dealt with this in some other lectures. Uh, there, there are suggestions, we need to bring back the Medinan model, right, of this to make this easier for ourselves. And that, there's going to be some bitter aspects in there as well, but that's the only way we're going to be able to safeguard our situation. But there's lots of laws mentioning primarily about uh, uh, expenses for women uh, in divorce situations and so on, and how long is their waiting period. All of that is discussed if they're pregnant, if they're not pregnant, if they're um, older women, how many menstruations, and all of that is discussed in there. I don't need to go into that in detail. You can read it for yourself. You can look at the commentary. I've got a detailed section on this in my marriage book. Most of it is anecdotal. When it comes to the divorce section, I've got a lot of the fit mentioned in there, the, the, the laws mentioned in there because it's important for people to know that so they can be aware of it and not make mistakes. So uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recommends that when you do divorce, do not divorce you know, uh, women in the wrong times. Right? Once you do divorce, then after that, let the, that period finish and, and so on. There's lots of discussions. All of that is mentioned in here. But what's most striking for me, all right? what is the most striking for me in this surah is that when there's so much discussion, discussion is divorce, the whole surah is talking about divorce, not just a few places. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions taqwa about four times. And he's got some of the most beautiful off-quoted verses of taqwa that you must have heard so many times. And... I think if a woman and a man have taqwa, then even a divorce situation will end up in a good thing. Although divorce is a bad thing, but sometimes it's inevitable. Inshallah, as Allah says, that When they do separate, if they have to separate, Allah will enrich each one of them from his abundance. So keep your trust in Allah. The first one is, these are the boundaries of Allah. Whoever goes beyond the boundary of Allah, then they've oppressed themselves. Anyway, فَإِذَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, the first case is in verse 2, where Allah says, وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهِ Whoever fears Allah, Allah will find an exit for him. Allah will find a way out. So, O oh, women who are depressed, or oh, men who are depressed, right? Especially in divorce case situations, nothing seems to work out, let it go. Allah will make a way out. Have your trust in Allah. Then it mentions Allah will then provide them from where they would never have imagined. And a lot of times psychologically when somebody goes through this situation, they think, end of the world. I can't see life after this. I can't see happiness. I've had women call me, like, will I ever see happiness after 17 years of a, a messed up marriage? Yes, because Allah promises it. He can give you, sustain you from where you would never have imagined. Then Allah says, whoever 
puts his trust in Allah, Allah is sufficient for them. Allah is going to complete his affairs and matters. And Allah has made a designated period or allotment or proportion for everything. Thereafter that, at the end, there's some more, there's some more laws uh, about the waiting period. Then at the end of verse 4 again, وَمَن الله, Whoever fears Allah, Allah will create ease in their matter. Because once you have Allah on your side, half of your depression is gone, and then the rest of it will go once you get your, the rest of your mind right, and you, you, can, you strengthen your resolve in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thereafter that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 5, this is the command of Allah that He has revealed to you. Again, whoever fears Allah, Allah will remove their bad deeds and He will magnify their rewards for them. Then there's discussions that you know, you're not allowed to throw out a woman who's in a waiting period. It's still the husband's responsibility to pay for her as long as she's staying in the same house and he's not telling her to get her. He's not allowed. He needs to keep her in the same house right? and he needs to pay until her idda finishes. He needs to be basically paying all her expenses until then as well. How much you should spend? That's mentioned in verse 7. Everybody spends according to their status, right? There's no minimal amount or something. It's whatever they need according to their status. Of people, it's a very wealthy family. They're going to need more expenses. If it's a very, you know, easygoing, small uh, expenses family, then that's fine. Thereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, goes back to history and talks about these areas which disobeyed their Lord and what happened to them. All of that is, discussion, uh, all of that is discussed. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, at the end of it speaks about the righteous people and what they're going to get in paradise and all of that is mentioned. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then talks about the seven heavens, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created and all the matters they come down. And Allah says, Allah is well encompassing of everything in terms of knowledge. Everything is encompassed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He knows about everything that goes on. He, is, he, he just knows what's going on. And the final surah, Alhamdulillah, we haven't done too bad. Alhamdulillah, we've just gone over an hour. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, I never believe we could do this with your du'as. With your du'as, with the barakah of Allah, barakah of Ramadan, barakah, the barakah of this masjid, inshallah, as well, right? Um, this is the mighty masjid. It's called the Aziziyah Masjid, right? The Aziziyah, the might, right? Many people have been wondering which masjid are we in. So now I'll, I'll, I'll reveal to you on the, you know, on the 28th juz which masjid we're in. May Allah take it from strength to strength and protect it and let a lot of good guidance come from it and fill it up inshallah. Right? Uh, and open it up just the way they've opened up for us inshallah. So this Surah Al-Tahreem now, uh, we still need to keep up the pace. Surah Al-Tahreem. Tahreem means to prohibit something, to make something unlawful. Tahreem of something which is haram. Right, so what's going on in here? This is, this is also a Madani surah, very Madani surah. Has six, uh, has has only twelve verses, very long verses, some of them, and it incorporates two or three different issues. One of the primary reasons why it's called Tahrim is about some very, you can say, very private matters, very personal matters of the Prophet household. And what happened is that there are differences of opinion, and it's and it could be both. Um, there's a story of the the honey. And there is a story of Maria Qibtiya, right? So one, one incident is that the Prophet ﷺ, because of some discussion, he said, okay, I'm not going to go to Maria Qibtiya, which was his slave concubine, right? All the others were wives. He had a few concubines. He says, okay, I'm not going to go. He had actually one child with this concubine as opposed to majority wives he had no children from. So because of something that had happened, he said, okay, I'm not going to go close to her, right? He said that to one of his wives. Another incident is where this whole long story of the the... 
this was a bit of a plot, right? Um, that the, was hatched between some of the wives of the Prophet against some of the others. Because he saw that he kept going to one wife who would serve him honey. So he kept going there, or he would go there and spend maybe a bit longer. So they said, look, this is what we're going to do. And when he comes back, we're going to say that your mouth is smelling, right? Of this particular, uh, this particular plant, right? Uzfur, I think, or something like that it's called. Uh, and maybe, you know, the idea was that it'll be saying that this honey is uh, the pollen is from that plant, and that's why it has that environment. Used to hate bad smells, so nadif, they would hate it. So he, he said, I'm not going to eat that honey anymore from her house, or something like that. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes down um, on that discussion and he says, Ya ayyuhan nabi, lima tuharrimu ma ahallallahu lak. What a beautiful statement. Oh Prophet. Why are you making unlawful what Allah has made halal for you? Whether it's the concubine or whether it's, uh, uh, it's the honey. Tabtaghi mardata azwajik. You're just seeking the pleasure of uh, your wives. Allah is forgiving. You know, you, don't worry, Allah is forgiving. So um, then thereafter that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions um, that you can break an oath when you've taken an oath for not the right thing. You can break the oath, it's allowed. Then, you see, the Prophet ﷺ had mentioned one of these things to Hafsa radiallahu anha and told her not to tell anybody, but she told Aisha radiallahu anha. So that's mentioned in verse 2. And the Prophet ﷺ got very angry when, when, when he found out that she told Aisha radiallahu anha. He wasn't supposed to. They're supposed to keep a secret. So he got very upset to such a degree that there was even discussion of divorcing some of his wives at that, at that point. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals all of this and says exactly that when he told her not to tell anybody and she told somebody and revealed and so on and so forth, all of that is mentioned. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to the wives of the Prophet and says that you, you, know, you, you need to make tawbah and if you make tawbah, it'll all be good and everything. But if you're going to um, not do that and if you're going to act in a different way, it's possible that Asa Rabu in Kunna that if he does divorce you, Allah will replace for him much better wives. Much better wives, Muslims, Mu'min, Qanitat, Ta'ibat, Abidat, Sa'ihat, Thayyibat, Wa Abkara. Right? And you can look at the translation, you can read up the translation of this. This is then, that ends, but it, there's something, relati uh, uh, something related to that in verse 6. Allah says, gives the responsibility to parents. This is a huge responsibility. This is the, the verse of the Quran that relates to parents. O people who believe, Protect yourself and your families from the fire, whose fuel is people and stones. And there are some severe angels standing there in God who do not disobey Allah and they do exactly what Allah wants. And oh disbelievers, don't make any excuses today. You'll be given exactly what you did. So that's a very important, this gives us responsibility. Allah allows us to fulfill this responsibility towards our children. I wrote a book on marriage after being married for over 22 years and dealing with marital issues for 20 years, over. I felt a bit confident to write it. But I still can't write a book about bringing up children yet. I'm waiting for my two elders to get married and then settle, and then maybe I can say, now I can do that, because inshallah, I've succeeded. It's difficult to fulfill this. But may Allah make it easy. Allah makes it easy for those who have taqwa, those who strive for the deen, those who love the deen. Allah will make it easy for them in the right way, who are not excessive and who don't have shortcoming, Allah give us that balance. And then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has another very prominent verse. This is the Tawbatun Nasuh verse, the sincere repentance verse. Of verse 8, O people who believe, repent to Allah, a sincere repentance. It is very likely that your Lord 
will forgive you your evil deeds. Always. It assumes that we have evil deeds already. Always. Because that's the majority of people. Very few people have no, de- no misdeeds at all. So that's why, but Allah will forgive them. So he's taking that for granted that we have misdeeds. It's taking that for granted. So why should we be despondent? And then he will enter you into Jannah, into actually Jannah, into gardens under which rivers flow, right? And that will be the day when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not humiliate the Prophet and those who believe in him. Allah will not humiliate the Prophet and those who believe. May Allah not humiliate us on that day. And again, the concept of nur comes up again. Their light, may Allah give us of this light, will be, their light will be traveling in front of them and to their right. Right? And they will be saying, Our Lord, complete for us our light and forgive us. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has power over everything. Then after that, there is encouragement. O oh people, O oh, oh Prophet, uh, fight with the disbelievers and the munafiqeen and be severe upon them now. Right? Be severe. Their end is Jahannam. And what a bad ending place that is. And the last few verses are, are beautiful examples, which especially the sisters need to listen to. But they're examples for everybody. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving an, intense, uh, an example of intense kufr. Right? How bad somebody's kufr can be. Right? That despite given the entire beautiful environment, all positives, everything advantages to them, they still disbelieve. Who could that be? And he gives an example of a woman in that. Right? And then he gives another example of the worst situation, the worst environment you could be in where to believe there is like Im- virtually impossible and mashallah that person believes even though given that environment right? so that shows that it's actually from a person's inner strength from Allah that they're going to believe or disbelieve regardless of their surroundings so stop making excuses there are so many excuses that someone has made you know right? This is the, the, these are our times, or these are our states, or this is just what's going on, or you know, these are just my, my circumstances. Your circumstances can change when you have a will, and Allah will not change. We've read another verse, You have to take the first step. So, the example Allah provides, uh, first example that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides in verse 10 is Allah provides an example of a kufr. Right, of kufr, of people who disbelieve, how bad it can be. The wives of Nuh and the wife of Lut alayhi salam. The wife of Nuh and Lut alayhi salam. Right, their wives. They were under two servants of ours. Righteous. Imagine, Jibreel alayhi salam is coming to them. They have wahi, revelation, miracles, but blinded. Can you imagine? You've got miracles in front of you. Your a prophet, angels, but no, you don't want to believe. And they could not do anything. Their husbands could not do anything for them. They were told to enter the fire. Then after that, lo and behold, the example of given of strength of belief is the wife of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's calling himself God. Do you have people in your family that call themselves God? Right? Does your father call himself God who stops you from wearing hijab or stops you from practicing, stops you from studying the deen? Right? You know? This guy, this guy, Pharaoh, was calling himself God. He was a huge persecution. He actually did persecute her. Whole stories of his persecuting his wife, Asiya. But no, she prays to Allah. And look at her dua. Make this dua to Allah if that's the case with us. Right? Ibn Lib in the Kabaitan. Make a house for me in paradise. Save me and deliver me from Pharaoh and all of his deeds. And give me safety from the oppressive people. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about Maryam binti Imran. Right, who protected her chastity. So women protect your chastity. Men protect your chastity. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that she was from the Qanitin. She's from those that were given to du'as and righteousness and worship. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit from this. And may Allah be praised for uh, all that he has given us and the ability that he has given us to cover these things. And may he make the rest of this easy for us as well. Uh, 29 is going to be uh, more difficult, if not as difficult. And then 30 is going to be... Uh, apparently, but Allah's making is easy. Maybe that will become very easy. We'll have maybe three minutes to every surah or something like that, and uh, inshallah we'll cover it with your du'as. Inshallah, may Allah bless you all. May Allah bless you all. May Allah make these last remaining hours and days extremely blessed for us and better than the previous days. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad.